0: WORQ Green Bay Fox Cities.
1: Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible-based program just for women, where seasoned Naomi's nurture young roots with real scriptural food for the spirit, encouraging and equipping your walk in biblical womanhood. Grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and invite your friends. There's plenty of room at Naomi's Table. Welcome to Naomi's Table,
2: everyone. I'm Amy Spreeman, along with my co-hostess and friend, Nancy LeMay. Hey, Nancy. Hey. Hey, what is Naomi's Table exactly? Well, it's a show about biblical womanhood. And uh, what we do here is we learn from the Word of God about our high calling in the roles we have as women. We're going to do that today. We're talking about uh, memorization of the Bible. We're talking about, uh, well, a little topic called slander. So we're going to squeeze a lot of things in today. And what we ask you to do is just compare everything to the Word of God god because that is truth
3: amen sister all right well in our second segment we are going to be staying the book of first samuel again with our teacher Beth seifert our bible studies are the most important thing we do here at the table and we've got a lot of them now on the website at naomistable.com there's both old and new testament and it's all podcasts there's study notes with everything so if you want to get a bible study going it's super easy. Just go to one of the books that we've done as a Bible study and you could click the to download the notes, print those out for everybody and then you all sit around a kitchen table with your computer and listen to the podcast and then the discussion and and take it from there. Yeah, we've made it real easy, and best of all, uh, it doesn't
2: cost you anything. All right. A little later on, we are going to have part two of our uh, conversation that we started yesterday with a woman by the name of Susan Heck, and she's memorized 24 books of the Bible. I'm not talking verses or chapters. I'm talking entire books, word for word, and we're going to uh, talk with her in just a moment. First, though, we want to cover a topic, uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about yesterday, uh, biblical And there's one area um, that we didn't really get to, Nancy, and we wanted to make sure that we we covered slander, because that's a big thing these days, especially when you talk about all the ways that we can um, talk about other women online, and, and technology
3: is actually making it easier, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And Facebook and all of yeah. those nasty, nasty things out there that are Google-oriented too. So, you uh, have something against Google, don't you, Nancy? I do. They are <laughs> wicked. They are wicked. <laughs> oh, now
2: wait, I have to put the caveat because we've got a women's group for Naomi's Table on Google+, Plus, but I will say uh, it's very biblically structured and there is no slander going on in there. We make sure of it and uh, our moderators, Beth and Lori, are just brilliant at keeping the conversations all about God. So having Having said that. Let's talk about the real slander that gets us
3: in trouble here. <laughs> well, this is all going back to Titus 2, verse 3, where Paul is instructing Titus to have the older women instruct the younger women. Mm-hmm. And he started out saying the older women likewise should be reverent in behavior. And then the next thing he says is not slanders. Now that means with guarded tongues. Okay. And when you look at the importance of the tongue, oh, there's a lot of verses about that. Yes. I mean you have uh First Timothy three eleven. Uh you have uh in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. You've got James three, two to six. Uh, and he talks a lot about the tongue and the wickedness of it. Do you have those verses there? I do. James 3 verses 2 through 6. And I'm reading out of the English standard version if you're following
2: along. And it says this. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Very strong words there in James and I would say too that that tongue is controlled many times in our flesh by our hearts, which we know what uh, the Bible says about our hearts. They're not uh, good enough. They're actually uh, pretty wicked in and of themselves and it's the heart of the Holy
3: Spirit that we need to be controlling our tongues. Yes. So James is actually saying the source of all wickedness, especially of an uncontrolled tongue, is hell. Yes. And that's interesting because the word that is used here for slanders in Titus 2-3 is diabolos. And that's the very name of Satan that is used of him 34 times in the New Testament. Mm. Now, Satan's been a false accuser and so each time he incites a believer to do so they are doing satan's work wow and a lot of times uh it's it involves taking things personally maybe you've ceased looking at your ministry as god's ministry and you're looking at it as yours and therefore if anyone attacks it it's a personal attack against you even though what they're saying could be constructive criticism well,
2: and that can happen with anything, not just ministry. That can happen with um, pet projects that we have. That can happen in our own families. Uh, and, and we can think, uh, take things so personally sometimes, ladies. We just need to make sure, though, that we are not participating
3: in any kind of gossip or slander. No, and once again, there's a difference between the constructiveness that we talked about uh, perhaps in our Bible study the other day when we talked about receiving correction if Mm -hmm. someone is offering it and how do you properly receive that, and in just plain old gossip. And there's actually three different kinds of gossip if you think about it. Mm -hmm. There's malicious talk, there's rationalized gossip, and there's, innocent gossip well, and I think, yeah I think we know what malicious talk is. Let's talk about that rationalized gossip. What is that? That's that prayer request oh. that you're using to masquerade gossip. So you're you're gossiping about someone, In order to share the latest juicy tidbit that you know, Uh, disguised in maybe, um, oh, I want to help you or I want to help
2: this person. And and so you're talking about them and you weave in other things that really aren't
3: necessary to the conversation. Like, for instance, we really need to pray for Susie because her husband is is running around on her Uh and Susie's really been drinking a lot lately, too. That's what I'm talking
4: about,
2: and we can rationalize
3: that because we think, oh, but I did a good thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sharing, you know, a, a prayer request. <laughs> I'm asking people to pray for me. Yeah. Now, there's also innocent gossip, though, and this usually starts out with a good motive, but sometimes it can get off course when you start sharing sensitive information unwisely, and it's not that you're intending to dish out the latest juicy stuff. But it's like curiosity sets in and soon the conversation is far beyond the problem and the solution and has become really gossip. Can, can you give me an example of where that might uh, take a woman if she uh, doesn't really know she's kind of heading in that direction? Well, once again, let's take Susie's example. You know, we really need to pray for Susie. Sure. Okay, well, how do we pray for her? What What should we pray for for her? Um. Well, we need to pray for her marriage. And the more information along those lines you share the more you are actually Mm. gossiping. yeah. And and
2: sometimes um, we can be asked questions by women and they can continue to probe and say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, tell me what's going on with Susie. Well, I need to help her, so you need to tell me. And we don't want to do it, but uh, they kind of force it out of us. We need to take a stand and actually say something stronger and say, you know what, I I really uh, would like to protect her confidence and I I really don't feel like I need to uh, tell you that information, but just pray for her. And
3: here's another thought. Say, well, God knows what she needs prayer for. So you just hold her up to God in prayer. You pray for her and pray for her marriage that God's will would be done and he knows what to do. Yes, and and hopefully that person won't keep asking. (laughs) Well, here are three great ways that we can change our habits and start talking positively. Um, First, think, before you start to say something, pause a few seconds and ask Ask yourself, are these words true or false? Are they exaggerated or accurate? Are they healing or cutting? Are they grateful or complaining? Mm -hmm. That's very good advice. Another one is to talk less. Boy, if you Wait, were, what I know, if you do a study in Proverbs, how many times does it talk about the fool who's always running his mouth off, hmm. and the wise man who holds his tongue and who actually stays silent? Uh, it's a biblical fact that the less you talk, the wiser you appear. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I must be a uh, uh, well anyway. <laughs> so plan, prepare, concentrate, and enrich each opportunity that you have to speak. And to make a time to speak. If anyone speaks, uh, this is 1 Peter 4:11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. So in other words, let your words be uh, few and to the point, direct, and not all this superfluous stuff that people really don't need to know. You know, and, and if you've ever been in a, a business
2: meeting of any kind for any kind of company, um, you know you know how those meetings go, and people talk and talk and go off on rabbit trails and, and that kind of thing. And it's always that person who's quiet, and, and uh, um, he's the thinker, or she's the one who uh, just has very few words, then all of a sudden when she does raise her hand and speak up, you think, wow, that was the wisest thing I've ever heard. And, and so people just kind of t- uh, stop and uh, turn their full attention on that person who speaks wisely, yes. and uh, may that be us as well. May we be
3: uh, wise speakers, and, and let our words be few. And one last tip here: if you if you ask God to fit you for a word retainer, get braces put on your tongue. <laughs> well, and David actually did something like this as well. But you and I, before we start recording every show, yeah. what is it that we pray? Well, we pray that it's not us babbling on that they
2: hear, which sometimes we do that, but what we really pray is that uh, we would be less
3: and he would be more and that they would hear our words. It wouldn't be about us. That everything we think, everything we say would be from God and not from us, not our opinions. So those are some three tips, and here's how it relates back to that Titus 2 woman. Uh, When they are prompted by the Holy Spirit To say something, they make sure that what they say is absolutely true, honest, just, pure Lovely and of good report before they say it, lest they discredit their ministry effectiveness as a godly Titus two woman. All right. Well, we're going to stop this part of the discussion right now
2: because I want to introduce you. uh, If you didn't tune in yesterday, to Susan Heck, and this is part two of our interview. If you missed yesterday, uh, go back to yesterday's program and get the podcast. But Susan Heck has been uh, involved in women's ministries for thirty eight years now. Uh, She teaches Bible studies. Uh, She's written. Quite a few articles, and uh, leads women's Bible studies at her church. She's got she's on the radio every day. I'll tell you what she's most known for, and that is the the work she does to memorize the Bible. And she wants to memorize it all. And I'll tell you what she's going to be close. She's got uh, 24 books now memorized, and uh, not just uh, you know just a little here and there, not just thought for thought. She's memorized word for word. And uh, we promised this yesterday that we were going to uh, let you know how she did it, and she's very specific in her instructions. I think you'll find that it's not that difficult to memorize Scripture. And so with that, here's our interview with Susan Heck. Well, Susan Heck, welcome back to Naomi's Table. I so appreciated the time you spent with us on yesterday's program.
5: You're welcome. It was a joy.
2: Oh, it was. And and we promised the ladies that we would talk about uh, Bible memorization. Now, I, I think what I heard is that you have memorized many entire books of the Bible. What are you up to now?
5: Well, I'm in Acts chapter 15. Mm -hmm. Actually, just right before we uh, started speaking, I was working on Acts 15. So that's the book I'm working on right now. And uh, I had hoped to have the New Testament done by the time I was 50. But I'm going to be 58 soon, and uh, it hasn't happened yet. But I I just lack a couple of books to finish up. Oh, my. Working on it maybe by the time I'm 65.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that must take incredible work, and, and of course, the Holy Spirit is doing that as well. You know, and, and to any woman who's out there who knows me, I, you know, I can barely remember where I set my keys down. So I would love to talk to you about how you go from memorizing um, small scriptures to entire chapters and then entire books of the Bible. How does that happen?
5: Well, actually, uh, when I met my husband at uh, Moody Bible Institute, that's where I met him. Um, he actually was the one that challenged me. When I met him, he had ha- already had most of the New Testament memorized. And the man who discipled him had the whole Bible memorized. Wow. And so I, I was very intrigued by that. And um, so with his help and encouragement, I memorized Colossians when I was 18 years of age. And uh, he shared with me his method and that's the method that I use that I have found to be very, very helpful. And uh, as I mentioned on the last program, I, I wasn't uh, you know brought to Saving Faith until I was 30. So after I memorized that first book at 18, I didn't memorize anything again <laughs> until I really got saved And at the age of 30. And then I started memorizing books of the Bible again. And up to this date, I think I have 24 books in the Bible. Memorized. I, lose, wow. I lose count. but most of the New Testament. But anyway, uh, the method he shared with me, I, I have found to be very helpful, and I have also shared it with many other women, mm-hmm. and they said that they, uh, when they use this method, it works for them. That they tried other things that don't work, but this method works. And so, what I do is, I put on some type of recording by cell. We all have smartphones or iPhones, and uh, we have ability to record, and so. I put on with my own voice Whatever I'm memorizing Like right now I'm in an Acts And so if I were to put on chapter 15 I would put it on with my own voice recorded as fast as I can Something like this Now this is not Acts 15 But uh, Paul and the Apostle of Jesus Christ By the will of God And Timothy our brothers, This is thankful, and faithful, faithful brother in Christ right A And I would do the whole thing And then I would just um, After I have it recorded I would listen to it And while I'm getting dressed Putting on my makeup Going mm-hmm. for a walk uh, cooking dinner, you know, things like that, when you're not doing anything with your mind, ironing a shirt for your husband or something. So it's kind of getting in your mind. Then I also actually make a copy of the page of my Bible um, where I'm at right now. Like right now I, I'm in Act 15, and I was just, mm-hmm. like I said, reviewing that and working on that before you called. So I also have a, a written copy. I'm visual and audio learner. And so I do, like anybody else, just... Uh, you know, phrase by phrase, uh, verse by verse, and after I get verse 1 done, then I go to verse 2, always reviewing verse 1, then 2, and 3. And then the, the really the key is, um, after you get a book of the Bible memorized, or in the case of Acts, which is a very long book, after I get one chapter memorized, uh, I review that every day out loud for 30 days, mm-hmm. and then you have it. It really is amazing. Um, I was reviewing the Gospel of John um, just a while ago, because I was on a two-hour drive, and uh, I've had the Gospel of John memorized for a long time. But if you will review correctly, you will have it, and it just stays in your mind and your heart.
4: Uh And
5: so, after I memorized the book of the Bible, and I do the thirty day uh, thing. Usually, I review maybe everything I've got memorized within a month or two,
4: mm-hmm.
5: and that keeps it, you know, refreshed in my mind. So uh, it is a joy. And you know, there's no merit in scripture memorization that's yeah. going to make you holy or <laughs> anything like that. But it's the ability to be able to use it to help others, and then also in my own life, I found it's been the greatest tool for putting off sin and mm-hmm. for knowing God and His Word. Uh, it's a great Bible study tool, the best one I know.
2: Uh, I'm going uh, to try it immediately. <laughs> All right, I got a couple questions now. I was taking notes as you were explaining this process. Um, why is it important to do this in your own voice? There's got to be a good reason for that.
5: Well, I don't know what the importance is, but I have also listened to it in someone else's voice, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure. I, I really can't answer that question, but I do know that um, the the speed in which you put it on a recording device is very important. Okay. The speed is fast. As fast as you can and still understand what you're saying. The reason being, they have proved statistically that our brain picks up things quicker and easier if something was given at a fast speed instead of a very slow. Really? And so, oh, okay. yeah. That's interesting, uh, and
2: I was going to ask you that next. Why fast? Because you would think that
5: they would fly by. Well, you know those commercials that say, you know, and you're going to die if you take the drug. Yes. uh, (laughs) They say, actually, children uh, pick up that, actually, because of the speed of it.
4: Wow. And
5: so our brains work like that. And I will have to tell you, the more I memorize, um, I've noticed the sharper my memory is. Mm. And uh, it really does... A brain exercise you know now they have all these games to play you know to keep you from getting alzheimer's and dementia sure but um actually memorizing scripture does wonders it's a great motivation for us that are getting old to keep our brains sharp
2: okay now i know i need this <laughs> uh, now well, how does this help you with um bible addresses scripture references does it are you able to pick those up and say well uh this chapter in this verse and you've memorized those as well
5: no, I don't do like um, you know, Colossians one, one one, one two, one three. I do know women have tried that and mm-hmm. it's almost a death sentence.
4: Uh. What
5: I do is this is Colossians one, this is chapter two, this is chapter three, because you know, the translators came in later and added chapters and verses. And so when Paul wrote Colossians, he wrote it as a letter or an epistle. It wasn't it wasn't chapter one, verse one, one, two. So I know people that do those types of things and you can become very bogged down. Yeah. But if you were to ask me, say, you know, where's the where does James talk about the tongue? I'd say, Well, that's James chapter three and I can tell you what chapters in and sometimes I can even tell you what verse. But I can give the general address. So I I personally don't make a big deal about that, but if you were to ask me, you know, like something in the Gospel of John, where is it that? The man who was born blind—I'd say John chapter nine. Or where's the man in the pool, to that That's John chapter five. Because I've memorized it and reviewed it so much that I can see it, and it just becomes yours. So I know people that do that—the one, 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 two, one, three—and I'm like, oh my! <laughs> I think that would intimidate that <laughs> me, but <laughs> but finding
2: that chapter is important too. And so that I I, mean, I can always look up yes. the the smaller reference marks later. You know, whether it's B or with the little one hash mark on there.
3: <laughs> so right,
2: this is incredible. Right. Well, I, I know that uh, the ladies around the table are really going to want to take this and and run with it. Um, I want to ask you too about the the page. Now, you copy uh, Bible pages. Does it help to see the words as you're hearing them?
5: Yes, that really does help. It really does, and uh, especially for those who are visual learners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so then, you know, when I am reading my Bible, I can just kind of, I just kind of know, okay, it's on that side of the, my Bible, <laughs> that side of the page. So it is very, very helpful. And I, I will tell you this, um, I do have a little booklet called The Call of Scripture Memory that has all the techniques and hows and whys. But one of the things that has really helped me, too, is when I come to a portion that I'm just really having a, having a very difficult time memorizing, mm-hmm. um, I will put it to music. And uh, uh-huh. that has helped me. When I come to a verse, I know, I just can't seem to get that uh-huh. in my mind. And so I'll put it to a little tune, and um, then that helps me to, you know, move on. Uh-huh. And uh, my husband's always saying, you know, Susan, think, what would Paul have said next, you know, when you kind of get <laughs> into a like a brain freeze or something, and so that helps too. But I have a lot of little tips in that little booklet called The Scripture Memory, And they can get that on the website
2: as well. Well, I'm going to put that on our website. But ladies, if you are listening, it's withthemaster.com or .org. Both of those will get you there. And uh, we'll make sure we link up today on Naomi's Table right up to that, uh, that booklet, A Call to Scripture Memory. Uh, I, I can't wait. I'm going to order one right away. <laughs> <So>.
5: <laughs> Good. I can't wait to hold you accountable and find out.
2: What well, I know. hope you do. That. And that's another thing. We do need to hold each other accountable. Is yes. it easier to do scripture memory with friends? I can imagine it would be with, with other women yes. who, can, who can help each other along.
5: Yes. I have one of the ladies that I disciple. Um, her name is Maggie, and she holds me accountable. Um, and every two weeks we meet for discipleship. And I quote my verses to her, and right now she's listening to every book of the Bible that I've memorized Mm -hmm. through this past year to make sure that I'm saying it correctly. And so I will tell you, accountability is huge, and Mm -hmm. I appreciate her so much that she holds me accountable, and I'll say, Look, I want to have this much done by the next time we meet, or, uh, you know, I'm kind of getting to be a sluggard, you know, get on me. (laughs) So (laughs) um, I do appreciate the accountability, and it makes all the difference
2: to have an
5: accountability partner.
2: Well, I want to ask you one more question about this process because I, you've mentioned the benefits of having the Bible memory, uh, you know, Bible verses in your head uh, for those times when you need them or, or when you're reminded that uh, perhaps there's a sin thing that you might need to deal with. I would imagine that uh, as opposed to just memorizing piecemeal little scriptures here and there, when you can memorize entire chapters and books in context, that makes a big difference too, doesn't it?
5: Oh, it does, because I tell you, that's one of my pet peeves is people that take a verse and pull it out of its context and uh, make it say something that it's not supposed to say. And so um, that has been a a benefit of uh, memorizing scripture within the context and what is being said.
2: Well, Susan, thank you. Thank you so much. I I was so excited to share these tips with the ladies today, and this is probably uh, one of the best how-tos I've heard on the subject, so I just really appreciate you taking the time to be with us at the table today.
5: You're welcome. It was a joy. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, that was our interview with Susan Heck. And Nancy, I am so inspired to get rolling here. Um, You know, I've got a smartphone. I can record my own voice very quickly. (laughs) I have no problems talking fast. I just worry about, uh, you know, the Bible memorization because I can can
3: barely remember what day it is. So I'm hoping that this sharpens me here. And why should we remember Scripture? Well, the verse that I love to look at is Hebrews 4.12, which tells us that the Word of God is living and active like a two-edged sword, Uh, meaning that it has supernatural power to mold us into Christ-likeness when we meditate on it. And there's no better way to do that than to have it in our minds and memories. You look at Psalm 119.11, where the psalmist hid God's Word in his heart so that he would not sin against God. And You know, ladies, the day could be coming where our Bibles will be taken away from us. And when that happens, will we have God's word in us so we can still have it to use to edify us, to help others, to really walk along
2: God's path? You know, that's a really good point, Nancy. You talk about persecution, and uh, think of the Christians who live in other developing nations, um, Middle East, China, that kind of thing, where uh, they don't really have a lot of scripture. Sometimes uh, somebody could smuggle a Bible in, and they get maybe a chapter or two that somebody has ripped out and passed along, Mm -hmm. and they really have to hide it in their hearts in order to be able to, um, you know, share it with others, and then they just trade, and they study it, they they chew on it. this is um, this is so important, and I think here in the West, you know, you contrast it. We have our smartphones, we have Bible apps, we have uh, electronic Bibles on our computers, we have all sorts of Bibles all around the house that are collecting dust. Some of you, and and uh, you know, we have many different versions, and we don't even take the time. We think we're too busy. What could be more important than memorizing Scripture?
3: I, I'm thinking of a movie called Fahrenheit 451. I think it was a Ray Bradbury Oh, one. yes. And if you remember in that movie, at the end of that movie, it was so awesome. And, and what happened was it was determined that all books had to be burned. Mm-hmm. Completely, totally no books. And they had these firemen squad that instead of putting out fires, they would actually go to homes that were reported to have books. And they would burn them all so Mm. they would actually start the fires and Richard Burton was one of the firemen but yet he was so drawn to books and he ends up finding this little enclave of people that are like him outskirts of town and every one of them was responsible for memorizing a book Mm. and they had to do that they had to pass it on to someone younger teach them the book from memory and that was to preserve all those words Mm. well just think How many of us need to have that Bible committed to memory? Mm -hmm. And we may need to do that, to pass it on. To the the younger generations, you know and i I think of the young uh Jewish boys as well and and Jesus would have
2: done this, they all would have you know growing up in that culture where uh you would have to memorize uh the entire Torah A, memorize it by the time you're thirteen, all the books of uh, their scripture back then. Wow, can you imagine and, and yet they did that, and uh, we can we can remember things like sports uh scores and measurements for recipes or whatever it is that we remember song lyrics, that kind of thing. Um, Wow. I I think that maybe
3: our priority should be scripture memorization. And when you think about how Jesus used that, uh, the way they would get people to remember psalms or to go reference a psalm was to say the first line of it. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. He was quoting yeah. Psalm 22, and he was telling all of the Pharisees, all of the scribes that were assembled there, and all of the people that were just witnessing this, go look at Psalm 22. Yeah. You're going to see that fulfilled this day by mm. what happens to me. Amen. Well, I think this
2: is a good point to say, you know what? We are going to get ready for our Bible study. It's the most important thing, as Nancy said earlier, that we can possibly do at Naomi's Table is bring uh, Bible studies to life on the radio. And our Bible study teacher, Beth Seifert, is standing by with today's
1: lesson in the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be right back. We equip women around the world to nurture others with the word. Want to partner with Naomi's Table? consider being a business partner details at Naomi's table.com it's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's table gather around again Welcome to our Bible study segment, and we've got Beth Seifert here with today's
2: Bible lesson in First Samuel. So open your Bibles there if you have them, and remember, all of these segments are recorded and saved, archived uh, in our Bible studies archives. You can download the study guides that go with each one of these, and have your own Bible study with your ladies around your own kitchen table. And we just welcome Beth Seifert. Thanks for joining us, Beth.
0: Thanks, Amy. Well, today we are going to see the contrast of the lesson we talked about yesterday where we talked about Samuel and how evident it was that he was walking with the Lord from even a young child. So today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And again, we're going to jump verses just a little bit. So we're going to be in verses 12 through 17 and then verses 22 through 25. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, No, hand it over right now. If you don't, I will take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Okay, here we have the intervening verses that were missing from yesterday. Do you see the contrast? Remember yesterday we saw Samuel who ministered before God and had God's favor and the favor of men. And today we contrast that with the depravity with which Eli's sons lived. Here we see Eli's sons and their corruption. Eli's sons were wicked. They were sinful and unrepentant about it. They used their position as priests to get what they wanted whenever they wanted it. Now, this whole explanation about meat boiled and the fat seems very strange to us, so let's pause and look at that. When people would bring offerings to God, they had determined a way to make sure the priests got some meat to eat from the offering. The priests didn't really earn their living the way everyone else did, so they were fed from the offerings in the temple. This sharing with the priest was supposed to be voluntary, not forced. You had the option to opt out of sharing with the priest if you felt for some reason that either the priest didn't need a portion or you wanted to give everything you had to God. The Lord was to receive whatever portion He wanted first, including the fat, which the fat can add flavor to the meat. The meat was traditionally boiled, taking away a lot of the flavor that way, except on Passover where it was roasted. It wasn't forbidden to roast the meat, but the traditional way was to boil it. In this way, you were sacrificing your own wants to give God the choicest portion of your meat instead of withholding good from God. Eli's sons were hungry gluttons. They wanted the choice portions. They wanted tasty roasted meat. So they sent their servant, they didn't go themselves, notice, to go and get them the choice portion instead of giving it to God. If the person protested, they were threatened with bodily injury. Thus, they were turning God's house into a den of iniquity. The people still had to offer their meat, but they knew that when they did, they had to appease Eli's sons too. Instead of worrying about getting themselves right with God, they were worried about not getting beaten up by Eli's sons. Can you imagine what that was like? Think of it this way. You go to church this Sunday, and when the offering plate comes around, the usher is standing there with a club, waiting while you empty out your wallet into the plate. If you don't empty out your wallet, they'll grab you, turn you upside down, and shake all the loose change out of your pockets, and whack you with their club while they go through your wallet. Really, that was how it felt to these people. They were being extorted, and they knew it. But especially at that time, the prescribed way to offer sacrifices was to go to the temple to have the priests offer the sacrifice for you. They didn't have Christ as their intermediary. The people's hands were tied here. So skip on to verse 22, and we find out that not only Eli's sons are Eli's sons taking God's portion of the meat they're also sleeping with the women at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, let me be clear. They weren't having sex in front of the tent of meeting. They were going to the tent of meeting, the women who were there at the entrance, and then they were taking them off somewhere to have sex. Some of this might have been consensual. We have no further reference to women serving at the entrance to the tent of of meeting in the Old Testament. However, I imagine that Eli's sons put pressure on these women just as they did on the Israelites and their offerings. They took what they wanted by force if it wasn't offered. Eli's action when confronted with his son's behavior is interesting. He rebuked them, but didn't remove them from their office. He told them not to do it, but didn't take steps to ensure they couldn't or wouldn't. We will see God's reaction to Eli's parenting, not just at this point, but throughout his son's whole lives tomorrow. However, we know that Eli understands the gravity of what his sons have done. He reminds them that they are not only sinning against another man, they are sinning against God. And there is no one who can step in and defend them. They have sinned against the judge. Eli's warning here was much too late, however. Their hearts were hardened by this time, and they had given themselves over to their sins had Eli stepped in earlier things might have been different however God had already determined that they must die for their sins and for their hearts if Eli's sons had repented uh, repented truly repented I believe God would have forgiven them although they still would have had to deal with whatever consequences of their sins that needed to be dealt with however their hearts were too far gone and they weren't going to repent no one had told them that they needed to repent Up to this point, they'd gotten away with this behavior for a very long time. Why would this rebuke from their father make them think that anything was going to change now? As we will see further on in Samuel, when we sin, the most offended party is always God. Let me say that again the most offended party is always God. Because He is holy and just, He cannot abide sin. It is completely against his nature. So when we sin, even against another human, we are sinning against a sinful person and a holy God, blameless and pure. That is as true here as it is true when David takes another man's wife. The biggest thing that always strikes me as I read this story is the responsibility that we have as parents to raise our children. We need to discipline them, to call them on their behavior, to help them to understand that their actions have more than immediate consequences. And we will be held accountable if we don't do this. This is more than just praying for our children, by the way. This involves action. If you see your child sinning, it is our job to call them on it think about their soul before you think about their feelings. If you are more worried about your child getting angry with you than you are about where they are going to spend eternity it's time to rethink. We want our children to be with us in heaven and we need to do all that we can to keep their hearts soft while they are in our homes and under our guidance. Let me be very clear on this point. Ultimately it is their choice to choose God or not. He is the only one who draws people to Him. We can't force him to draw them to him and we can't force them to choose him. However, letting your children go crazy when you know that they are doing wrong is only helping to harden their hearts to what is right and wrong. It is possible to discipline your children in love. But to do this, we need to make sure that we are growing with God so that we can show his love and his discipline to them so they have hearts that are ready to be moved by God when he calls them. All of this applies equally to our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we see sin in our brother's eye, first we are to examine our own hearts and be sure that we aren't considering confronting them for our own agenda, but we are called to confront our brothers and sisters, not for the purpose of beating them over the head and making them feel guilty for their sin, but so that they may be restored to a right relationship with God. That is to be our goal. We have a responsibility to call each other on our behavior and to help each other understand that nothing is done in secret. This is truly a call to action, not just to prayer. If you are more worried about your brother or sister in Christ getting upset with you than you are about their eternal relationship with God, it's time to reconsider our priorities. But through all of this, one line that caught me was Eli talking to his sons and telling them that if you sin against God, Who can intercede for you? Isn't it amazing to know that we do have one who intercedes for us when we sin? When we don't have the words to come before our Father, we have His Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. Now, At the end of the day, you can't force anyone to repent. Only God can change the heart. But we do have a responsibility to come alongside each other and with love help each other to get back into right relationship with God this means being open to others when they come to you to help you get back into right right relationship with God. Don't just assume that they are wrong and you're fine. Pray about it. Consider what they've told you. Search the scriptures. Seek other godly counsel. And if you did mess up, apologize to whomever you need to apologize to and come before your father to repent as well. Our children and our church body need to see this model in humility and submission. None of us are perfect. So you have my permission right now to speak to me with love when you see something in my life that you are concerned is sin. I can't promise that I'll be delighted. But I pray that I will consider that what was shown to me and bring it before the Lord in a right manner. My challenge for you today is this. Pray. And consider whether there are any people in your life who can do this for you, who can hold you accountable, who, can trust, who you can trust to lovingly come alongside you when you need to be guided back to his path. Some people won't be safe for this job in your life, and that's okay. But consider who. If they came to you with a concern, you would listen to them, who you know has your best interest at heart and not their own agenda. You don't have to go to that person and say, here I am, tell me what I'm doing wrong. But share with them that you do trust them to call you on it when they see sin in your life. Give them permission to come alongside you for His glory, not for your own agenda. And if or when they do come to you in love, before you defend yourself, pray. Listen. Seek His word. Remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 105 thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path and use his word to shine the light into the darkness of your heart
2: well thank you beth and beth's study guides as well as the 10 minute podcasts of these presentations are all available in our archives under the bible studies tab of our website naomistable.com nancy and i will be back with more on this in just a moment
1: Naomi's Table is 100% listener-supported, serving women around the world thanks to our listeners' generous gifts. Go to our website, naomistable.com, and click on the support button. And thank you for equipping us to equip women. No junk food served here. Now, back to Naomi's Table. Welcome back to the table. And in that segment
2: prior, we had lesson number six. This one is titled Eli's Contemptuous Sons. And boy, were they ever contemptuous. Nancy, I I tell you what, these these kids were just evil, weren't they?
3: It's just incredible. When you look at... Uh, what they were doing it it had to be so offensive to God and we do find out in fact tomorrow how offensive it was (laughs) Um, but they were were demanding the meat of the sacrifices before the fat was burned off to God. Now even that alone what they were doing basically was stealing from God and they were denying the people that were bringing these sacrifices the um, comfort, the relief of knowing that they had presented a worthy sacrifice to God. Yeah, and I like how she presented what was supposed to be. Servants
2: could uh, take in this uh, uh, asking for the meat for the priest. In fact, they were supposed to do that, but not until uh, the fat had been burned off. And yes. so uh, very important ritual that, uh, you know, in those times, uh, set aside meat for the priest. That's how the priests lived, uh, so that they could uh, feed their families and eat that meat. And I'll tell you what, that what they were doing was like a shakedown, and I love how she yep. described that. If, if this were to happen in modern-day terms, uh, it would be like somebody standing there with a basket
3: shaking you down if you didn't pay up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then to top it off, they were sleeping with the women who served at the tent of meeting. It's like, you know, not only sexual immorality, but to do it to the women that were there to serve. And I'm sure many of them were coerced. It doesn't say that, but, but... You got to think that these women would not have done this willingly, having been dedicated to serving God. Yeah, and and you know
2: when she read that Eli's response to his sons when the word got back to him of their, I I just,
3: it it doesn't seem to me like he was firm enough. Did it to you? No, and in fact, it's kind of like a little too little, too late. Yeah, and when you think of how he should have been disciplined, and we talk about this more tomorrow. But when you when you think about how he should have been disciplining them all along and instead this weak little rebuke here, um, it it wasn't going to really convict them of anything. And they were indeed unrepentant after he spoke to them. Yeah. So pretty ineffectual. (laughs) Yeah. So you look at at how they were using their position as priests to get what they wanted. You look at uh, all of the offense to God. Metal, let alone the harm they were doing to the people that they were there to serve. Yeah, You know, the ones coming bringing sacrifices or the, the women they're serving in the tent of meeting. And you have to believe that you know, they must have been getting away with this kind of behavior since childhood and realized, oh, well, we're never going to be held accountable for this. So they kept sinning yeah. worse and worse and worse. Uh, and there was no one or nothing that could intercede for them to change God's mind of what had to be done to them.
2: Yeah, so, and we've seen all throughout history what happens uh, with the undisciplined children who go up and come into power and uh, uh, just the, the, horrible horrible behavior against humankind that can happen. And these two didn't seem to be much different. And, and it really goes back to uh, you know, how were they raised? Were they raised with a reverence for God? And it appears that they were not. And when you
3: think, well, they were adults though. So what could Eli do? Yeah, you're right. They were adults and they were ultimately responsible of whether or not they were going to do what God wanted and obey him and honor him and follow him. But... If you haven't trained children up right, they're not even going to believe in God. Right. And I understand many of you out there have children that you thought you did train up, right? Yeah. And yet they still walked away from God. So there can be other factors going on there as well. Yeah. But here it was a clear instance that Eli just did not control them as they were growing up. And yeah. this was the result. I'm thinking of um, it was a story not too long ago, in fact, of that. 16-year-old boy i believe it was 16 or 17-year-old boy that drove drunk and and killed like four people mm-hmm. and he was you know pretty unrepented about it and the judge actually ended up Letting him off with probation and oh, no, the promise—the yeah. promise that he would just go through alcohol treatment and rehab and uh, stuff like that—with yeah. uh, no jail sentence for committing vehicular manslaughter. And the reason given was, oh well, uh, psychiatrists came in here and explained that the child was suffering from affluenza which is a new disease. If you haven't heard this, ladies, this is a this is a killer. It's a new disease that is afflicting our youth because they are their parents are too well off and they give the child everything oh, that they want no. and the child is never held accountable for their actions. So as a result, the child grows up utterly oblivious to what is right and what is wrong. Mm. And they said that's what was wrong with this this boy, this sixteen, seventeen year old boy. And therefore, he couldn't be held responsible for his actions because of Mm. this affluenza. Oh, Nancy, how many of
2: our kids out there have this? I'll tell you what, it, is it a real affliction? I don't know, but I will say that it, it's very, very hard to um, convince somebody that, uh, um, you know, they need to be, have a contrite heart or at least have uh, empathy for their, their victims. And, and, uh, I, my heart just breaks for those families who lost their, their beloved, uh, people. And, uh, man man, I, yeah. I just wish that, uh, more people would understand that, This is the effect of going lightly without discipline.
3: Narcissism used to be a a psychological abnormality. It sadly has become the norm in too many of our, our young people. And it is because they have never received any biblical correction.
2: Well, and you know, one way that we can help um, in our own parenting, and in our own uh, women's Bible studies even, is just to remember to, to bring up this, talk about narcissism, because it is alive and well in the postmodern church, in all churches, it really is, and any one of us can kind of uh, fall into this because of our flesh, because of our own self-centeredness, that we want to see the Bible or, uh, you know, the the things that we read about in Scripture as about us. Well, this is about me, uh, church is about me, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, we can really easily nip that in the bud to make sure that people around us know, hey, that kind of behavior is not okay.
3: It's called keeping each other accountable. Mm, speaking of that, I have a question for you. Oh, Beth was talking in the end about how we also need to be humble enough to receive yeah. correction from others who hold us accountable in love. Even if that is our own children, mm. so tell me. Oh no, have <laughs> your kids ever confronted you and oh, corrected Nancy, you? Oh, Nancy, yes, they have, and and not in a way
2: that I'm even proud of. I will tell you this story. When my uh, oldest was uh, maybe three years old, we were driving in a kind of a, a dark kind dark part of town. I'll just say, and uh, there were some uh, kids there, all dressed in black, with change and, and spikes in their hair, and and looking actually kind of threatening. We were driving by, and I said, "Oh, look at that! I just... Um, I hope, son, that you don't, uh, uh, you know, grow up to be uh, somebody like that." And he said, "Oh, it was a wrong thing to say." And he said, "Mom, how can you talk about them? They're just boys, aren't they?" And I just about died. You know, kids can have a way of bringing you right to your knees to say, "Oh, God." I am so sorry and and I've shared that before in in women's groups and and uh, every time I do it I just get this tear in my eye because he was so right and I was so so wrong and I've uh, I've repented but I think about that and just it, I still cringe. <laughs> I, I'm not heaping that condemnation on myself still but I do still
3: cringe about that. That was a um a big learning moment for Amy. <laughs> yeah and you know whenever we do have to receive correction if we do receive it in love and even encourage others yeah. to do it, that we are going to grow and we are going to yes. be much better. And, and I bet you did grow. You oh, we not going to yes. size people up just from their appearance anymore. Huh? Well, and my son and
2: I talk about that from time to time. And we laugh now, but, oh, you know, so immediately I knew that I needed to make sure he knew that I uh, was very, very sorry. And he actually watched me repent. So, There you go. That was a good model to give them. Yes. And and that's what we've been talking about today, modeling uh, Christ for other people, especially the next generation. So
3: what else in the Bible study? I know you've got a few more notes there. Well, I know she said that any time we do have someone come to us with with correction, we do need to pray and seek God's word before. Or we defend ourselves because that is our first tendency, isn't it? Oh, sure. Defensive, and um, sometimes I mean, we are in a a business here, and we are out there on the radio, and we have a big target on us. And sometimes you're going to get people calling in here that utterly disagree with what we say, and that's that's great. As long as you are going back to the Word of God and saying, "Here's why I disagree with what you say," that's good. If you're saying it's you know, our opinion against yours, mm. really, Amy and I are nothing. We yeah, are exactly. We are nothing. And as we always try to point you back to God's word, we hope that you also, if you would disagree with anything we oh, say, yes. do go to God's word. We're not going to have everything right. We're not going to be perfect here. Um, and sometimes if you if you know someone is not coming at you, from a biblical standpoint, that they are coming at you maybe with with uh, the latest teaching out there, saying, well, you're wrong. Well, this is available out to us and stuff, and yet they can't really exactly tell you where in God's Word it is, yeah. or they're taking verses out of context and misapplying it. It's not that you get defensive, but you do have to weigh everything that is said. Yeah. You have to determine whether what is being said is truly of god or if it's something that may be from a position of um lack of knowledge oh, or that's something like that so not getting defensive but hopefully it teaches you and them to go back to the word of god yeah. and say okay so what does it say I think that's a wonderful thing
2: to do together and and when that correction comes uh take that in humility and grace and by the way like Nancy said if you have anything that you need to uh have a little talk with us about we would love to hear you and and we hope that uh we do accept what you have to say with humility and grace I'm putting that out there uh but let me give you the phone number because I I want to hear it directly uh, and you, you can't hurt our feelings you just can't so give us a call um here's the number to our radio station it's one 800 And when you get here, the extension is 109. And uh, you can also email us at connect at naomistable.com. We're going to leave that here for right now. And when we come back, some
1: final scripture verses
2: to nurture your day. We'll be right back.
1: We equip women around the world to nurture others with the word. Want to partner with Naomi's Table? Consider being a business partner. Details at naomistable.com
4: Got a minute? I'm Pat Hess with a Matthew Minute. Matthew twenty-one twenty-eight. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I will go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. There is a history of conflict between words and actions. Words can be so meaningless, whereas actions are not. That is why the old saying, actions speak louder than words, is as true today as when it first came out of that old wife's mouth. Is church important to people today? By their actions, I would think not. Is a relationship with God important to people today? By their actions, I would think not. Do we really worship God, or do we reduce the idea of worship to a song with words rather than a life with action? I'm Pat Hess, and minute by minute we'll go through the book of Matthew at Naomi's Table. Have a
1: question or comment for Naomi's Table? Send an email to connect at naomistable.com. Now, back to the table. Well,
2: welcome back to the table. And in this final segment, we've only got just about a minute here. So, Nancy, you've got some
3: powerful scripture there. What do you have? Well, this would have been good advice for Eli to follow, unfortunately. Uh, it's Proverbs three eleven and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Mm, amen.
2: Ladies, we try to do that at the end of every program, just to uh, leave you with something that will nourish you, and I hope that this has happened for you today as well. We're going to leave it here at the table, but we are always here 24-7. You can go to our website, Naomi's table.com and you can get a hold of us by emailing connect at All righty. well, we're going to
1: leave it here, and we will
2: see you tomorrow. Have a blessed day.
1: Thank you for joining us today at Naomi's Table. We encourage you to head over to naomistable.com for resources, articles, Bible study guides, and much more. Until next time, be equipped and encouraged in God's Word.